Well, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Until You Win, the podcast with myself, Charles Wood, your host, and I am certainly excited about diving into this week's topic and having you join us just a little bit more on the journey of my solopreneurship and the history that goes behind exactly who I am today, what makes me who I am, and why I'm so just enthused and excited to help you um, in your journey, however that might be, whether we work together or whether it's just you listening to this podcast and sharing with others. But we've already talked about my professional career, and we've talked about my first business venture with my dad and what that taught me last week. And this week is my first dive into really beginning to dream big and what could be. And this all started back in, it was about 19, end of 1992. I was uh, finishing about my, almost my first full year. Um, I had about eight, nine months of working for the Department of Corrections, was loving what I was doing had just been rolled over to a full-time permanent position and was told that we had a new person coming and I was super excited because that meant that I was going to get up off the bottom of the seniority roster and move up above one person. And the person showed up and lo and behold, he was a transfer from another institution and I was still at the bottom and I was crushed for a while. And it was just like, oh my goodness gracious, why is this happening to me? But it ended up, this person became a good friend of mine, and his name was Kirk Chapman. And he was a retired Navy uh, corpsman who had been on the USS Enterprise. He had been on a couple of uh, tender ships, and we just formed a really good uh, relationship. And it ended up that he was involved in a business outside of work. It was the first time I had ever even thought about the possibility that I could actually have a business but still hold a full-time job. And that was really a new, very, very new concept to me. And so he was like, you need to come over to our house and uh, come sit down with us so we can actually go over everything with you. And I was like, well, I got to get, I got to work it out with my wife. And again, we're talking about the time when we didn't have cell phones and we didn't get to make long distance calls from work to home. Everything was all monitored and regulated. We had to ask for special um, offsite phone lines when we did. But ultimately what ended up happening is I was able to work out where um, his older daughter, who was about 15, 16 at the time, would watch my daughter who was under two at the time she's um and so it was we went over to their house and when we get there there's like a huge group of people here we thought you know i thought this was just gonna be us this is gonna be really good and you know i was dressed in nice casual clothes nothing you know like i wasn't dressed up um i was wearing you know a nice polo shirt and and, sh and uh jeans like i always did at the time and I know it was winter time, so it wasn't like it was anything, but I walked in and here's everybody in shirts and ties and women are all dressed in, you know, nice dresses and they're looking professional and, you know, we're having a little bit of food and I'm, I'm being 
questioned a lot by a, a whole bunch of different people about who I am and, and how did I know Kurt and Judy and, you know, was I in business with them? And I'm like, um, I work with him at work and he invited me to come over to, so we could talk about something he's involved in and that's about all. And, you know, lo and behold, this was my first journey into the home party. So how many of you have been to the home party? You know, I'm sure you have. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that if you've never been and you kind of show up and you're sidebarred, right? You're kind of like, wow, I, I wasn't ready for this. Well, this really slick guy gets up in front of all of us. There, there's probably 20 of us at his house. I don't know how many people, honestly. I do not remember how many were already in, how many were people from him. I do know that there was a, a couple that I met that their kids were over being watched by Kurt and Judy's oldest daughter also. And they were super excited. And they lived just down the street from Kurt and Judy. And I would later um, come to learn it was... Um, his name was Tom. I don't remember what her name is, to be honest with you. But they had sponsored Kurt and Judy into this business that we were being shown. And I was like, okay, you know, this is awesome. And it ended up, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the majority of the people were under Tom and his wife. But the gentleman who, came, who got up and started drawing the circles on the whiteboard, some of you already know what, business I'm talking about when we start talking about circles on a whiteboard, but he's going through this whole thing and he's from the Bay area and he, you could tell he's just a salesman, but a super nice guy, you know, probably in his, he was in his late sixties at this time and he's drawn circles and saying, you know, Hey, you know, if you go find six, who find six, who find six, you're going to be wealthy. And talked about, you know, all the great, home products that you can get and that, you know, basically you become a consumer of your own products. And then he tells us that the company is called Amway. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my parents were in Amway. I remember Amway. I mean, I remember as a kid, we drove all the way out to Oklahoma to meet my dad's sponsor in Amway, who he was in the military with at one point. But you know, I was like, hey, I, you know, I was somewhat interested. I didn't like whip out my checkbook and say, let's sign up. My wife and I talked about it. You know, everybody was super excited. Oh, you're going to get in. You're going to make a lot of money. We're going to help you do this. This is going to be amazing. Oh, you know, it's not that hard. All you got to do is find six people and then we're going to help you find six people and we're going to help them find six people and you're going to be rich. And we're all going to make money. Well, the reality of this is it's really hard to find six people who find six people who find six people. In fact, it's almost impossible. And you got to remember, Amway is a great company. Started back in the 50s and by Rich and Jay DeVos. And they took a vitamin pack called, I think it was, um, it was Nutri, Nutri something. It was, it, it was, it was a vitamin pack. And then they expanded to a laundry soap. And then they just expanded to a product called LOC. And I remember LOC because my dad used to do demonstrations where he would dip his toothbrush in and brush his teeth with it, rinse his mouth out and spit and go, look, it's perfectly harmless, which it was. It tasted horrible, but he used to do this. So they grew the business from the, from the late 50s into the 60s. 
when, you know, the typical door-to-door salesman kind of uh, mentality and showing other people and helping other people. And I, I have nothing to disparage against Amway as the company itself. You're going to learn about some other issues I have with Amway as the company. But in the 70s, they actually uh, were investigated by the FTC. And they were the one of the first network marketing companies to stand and, and win against the FTC. And the FTC said, yes, no, they're a viable company. And the fact of the matter is Amway as a corporation is a viable company. Now, it's not... You know, the the whole idea of you can earn money quickly and immediately because you can buy wholesale and sell at retail. The fact is that nobody wants to pay the retail prices because the wholesale prices are already more than you can spend at the store. The quality is super good. Never had a problem with any of the quality of the products. Did have a problem that I had to drive from my house in Citrus Heights to Elk Grove even back in the 90s, if anybody knows about Sacramento, that was still kind of a little jaunt, but, you know, no big deal. Half the time, Kurt would bring the stuff to work. We'd be in the parking lot. We'd swap it out of our vehicles, and everything would be good, you know. So, you know, they had a whole thing of BV and PV, and it all became real confusing, and, and really the deal was the higher your PV or point value, the higher percentage of your business volume you get. And their model is basically that you become a a silver producer and you start generating about 10,000 in product volume points a month. And, or you have one leg, um, one large leg and you maintain 4,000, um, in volume in the other legs, or you have two large legs in one month and you become a silver and you start actually making some money. And I think at the time when I was in, that was called a direct distributor. They no longer call them that because they no longer, it used to be that only direct distributors could receive a shipment from Amway and you had to go to a direct distributor to get your products. Well, then they moved it to a model where everybody can just order and it showed up at their house. Uh, at the end of my three years, that's they were just rolling into that model. So then once you get to a silver producer, you know, then you want um, some breakaway legs. And that's where you want other businesses to get to silver and higher. And you become, you know, making overrides on those um, breakaway legs. You know, and, and for $60 a year to own your own business, it was a really good, like, mental, yeah, we can do this. My uh, wife at the time and I decided that we would jump in and do it. And we made our list of people and we wrote everybody down. We went through every single phone book that we had and notepad and we wrote everybody down. And there wasn't a person that we didn't call. We had some good friends that lived in Napa. We drove all the way down to Napa and back in one evening just so that we can show them the Amway plan. Of course, they didn't sign up. They were probably some of the smart ones. But, you know, really the catch to Amway that they don't really talk to you about is the two, three, four hundred dollars in products that you're expected to purchase every single month. They don't tell you about the 
at the time audio tapes and then it became CDs and then it became um, online downloadable audios that you had to get and the, all the books you had to buy every single month. And they didn't tell you about the untold fees that your upline required you to purchase to be part of their team. And so that was one of those parts when you look at the compensation plan that you go, hmm, that's interesting. I don't know what to say about that. And along the way, they expect that you're going to promote to gold, platinum, sapphire, emerald, diamond, and you're going to get rich. and You're going to make a whole bunch of other people rich. And the fact is, we all spend a lot of money. And there's parts of me that are, are upset about all the money I spent and I lost. And there's other parts that go, but I learned a lot. You know, just recently I bought a box of uh, cassettes. There had to be over 200 cassettes in here. In fact, there were quite a few duplicates. I sent them to a good um, a business partner of mine named Cheryl Coco. If she's listening at one of these days, it would be awesome. But I sent her some for a, an event that was going on because um, she wanted to talk about the old days of, of uh, listening to a cassette tape. But the expectation that you were expected, didn't matter where you were, to attend large events every three to six months, that you were expected to attend seminars and rallies. And for us, our upline direct was in uh, Walnut Creek, which is about two hours away from our house. And we were expected to drive down there every single month. So we would drive down on a Friday so that we could see the plan being shown, even though we knew nobody down there and nobody that we knew wanted to drive two hours to go watch a plan about learning how to earn money. Even though we did try, I do have to say we did lose several friends out of this entire time period of my life. But really the good takeaways from it were the product itself was good. Were you going to make a million dollars off the products? There's a few people that have, but the reality is you're lucky to make a few hundred, if not just a few thousand dollars off the products themselves. I did love the large events. I mean, I saw people like the Smothers Brothers. I saw Jeff Dunham when he was first starting out. Um, There's a guy named um, Danny... Danny's something. He he was in Vegas for years, and at 50, he had a heart attack. But he used to sing like other people and put on a great show. So I saw lots of of people, lots of big-name acts that came through these events. And, you know, while it was fun to attend, we never really – it was a get to the event, get in line so you get a good seat because if you're not – an emerald or a diamond, you're not getting a good seat. So you got to wait in line so you can get down close so you're not stuck in the triple nosebleed seat, which means that you're eating while you're sitting in line. You're not out meeting other people. You're not spending time with them. Um, But overall, the events were good. You know, and I learned a lot about probably more what not to do, to be honest with you. And really the bad comes away from... Everything just cost too much. Everything was too expensive. The products were too expensive. The events were too expensive. Um, Could never sell for retail. That was just out of the question. And for me, the really the big part about what happened and why I finally decided to stop being involved with Amway 
was I really learned about the truth of where the money comes from. And today it's all over the place and it's easy to find. But back in the late 90s, it was not easy to find. So it was probably 1997 when I got out and I, and I stopped my involvement in my Amway business. And so it wasn't like we had the internet. The internet was really in its early, early stages of infancy. We had a little bit of online stuff here and there, not much. Did have a computer, but there, there, there was no significant online anything at that time. And the fact is, I had a friend that I found out was a mortgage broker, and he told me a story, and it just solidified what I, I had just learned literally weeks previous. And the story goes like this. He was working with a double diamond in, in Sacramento, and he was working on helping him find a, a nice house in a super nice um, exclusive community out in the the Rockland uh, Granite Bay area. And so they had a meeting that they were supposed to meet with a mortgage broker, actually the vice president of mortgages for a company, for a bank. And he showed up before my friend Brad showed up. And while he was sitting there waiting... The VP called him in and they started like, like, let's get some of the prelim paperwork done. And and in the conversations, the guy said something that upset this VP of mortgages. And when my friend Brad showed up to, because he was to be the one brokering the deal, basically. The VP of, of uh, mortgages comes out and looks at my friend Brad and says, you get this bleepity bleep out of my bank and never bring one of those scumbags back. And Brad's standing there dumbfounded, like what happened? I, I guess I don't understand what is going on here. And so as he and this double diamond are walking outside, Brad says, hey, what happened? He goes, I don't know. The double diamond's like, I don't know what happened. Well, tell me what conversation you had with her he goes well we started talking about stuff and i asked her you know a couple of questions and she shot a couple of questions back and he goes okay well it still's not explaining what's going on and he goes well one of her questions was why i haven't filed my tax returns in the past two years and he goes it's part is because i want to you know make sure that i can get a house that i can afford and she didn't understand that question. And so he, this double diamond says to her, he goes, well, what does my tax return need to say so that I can qualify for this loan? And she goes, what are you talking about? He goes, well, he goes, you know, whatever my tax return needs to say, how much money, then that's what I'll have my tax return say. And so, so, so really the root of this story was that these diamonds, double diamonds, Crown Diamonds, everybody, they were making money hand over fist at these rallies and these large events. And a lot of it was cash and they were just paying people in cash and they were not claiming this stuff on their tax returns from what I'm being told, right? This is what was being told to me. I'm not accusing any specific person of doing wrong, but 
this was what was relayed to me. And I was just like flabbergasted when I heard this story. And it just really solidified this whole fact of um, that the real money came from the books, the tapes, the functions. It didn't come from the Amway products. It came from the secondary service, which now we see as a legitimate service. And you look at people like Eric Worre, who was not in Amway from what I understand. If he was at one point, I, I, I don't know. But he broke off and created a legitimate teaching platform. And that's what he does, which there's nothing wrong with having a platform where you sell products and services to teach people how to be better. What's bad is when you you tell everybody they can make all this money from Amway, but the reality is this is coming from the secondary business that nobody tells you about until you reach the higher levels. So for me, overall, my takeaways was it was a great learning point for me. It, it, it really, it was my entry level into network marketing and multi-level marketing. And several of my businesses, quite a few of them that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks were, were and are network marketing companies. And there's nothing wrong with that product model as long as you keep the books, the tapes, the functions as a separate entity and you're not making money off of those. Or if you are, you're being upfront about it. Right. And so that was part of my takeaway is, is you have to be upfront about where you're making your money from, how you're making your money. Right. You can't like circumvent somebody and not tell them and, and say, well, to be part of my team, you got to buy all this extra stuff. And then you don't tell them until they reach the higher levels that that's really where you guys are making money from. The other part that I really didn't go into, and we are going to talk more about this because this actually lingers on with some of the other companies I got involved in, is you know once you burn through your friends and family, is um, you take on, I don't want this to sound bad, but it's the only way to really put it. You take on the stalker mentality, right? You're at the mall, you're at the gas station, you're at the grocery store, and you're literally stalking everybody who might be a good person that I can try to strike up a conversation with. Oh my gosh, that would make my stomach turn a notch when I would go out and do that. And I, it's not something I do anymore. It's not. If, if it naturally comes up about what I do, I tell people what I do. But I don't like go put on a shirt and tie anymore and go walk the malls. And I used to do a thing where um, I, I would be almost empty on gas and I would go to a gas station and I would put my thing, my, the, the pump in I, I, and I, I'd, I'd pump like less than $5. I get in this back of the night. I, I popped like $2 worth of gas and I would just stand there and I would wait for somebody to pull up so I can strike up a conversation with them and try to get a phone number and something out of them. And then I drive to the next gas station. I'm sure that there's people that would look at me like, I swear I drove past that guy or he was at the gas station. I was at before he's at the gas station again, but I go, I'd hit five and six different gas stations in one night, you know, and I, I learned that that's not the way to build a business. It really isn't, you know? So while in the U S it's kind of hard to find an Amway rep anymore, uh, they have rebranded themselves as a quick tar and you can find people that are still doing it but really Amway is big in other countries outside the U S so Amway in and of itself has a, has a bad rap in the U S and 
you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. It's a lot from the techniques and a lot because of um, the big organizations that really put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So I am going to drop a couple of uh, links to YouTube videos that kind of talk about the compensation plan and tell a little bit about it. And if you're interested, hey, find somebody who's involved in Amway. It's, you know, they're good products that are overpriced, but there are other options out there. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad for my time in Amway, but I'm glad that I'm no longer in it. And I'm glad I'm looking forward to greener pastures. So we appreciate you listening to another week of Until You Win the Podcast with myself, Charles. And we're going to be back next week with really, to this date, my all-time favorite business I've ever been in. And that if, if it didn't go away, I'm pretty sure that I would still be a representative and probably making a lot of money with that company. So we look forward to talking to you all next week. Have a great one. Signing off. Bye.